Good morning. I guess I'm on. Good morning, everybody. So glad you're here today. Like I said uh, in the song service, Tony's out today. Several people went to a marriage retreat. I think the Larkies are gone. Tids are gone. So other tids are gone. Speaking in the plural now. Tids are gone today, and and we have others out and about. But uh, it is the Christmas time of year. So um, I uh, Tony asked me to fill in. I said I would. So I'm pitching a double hitter today. I did uh, Sunday school or ministry training hour, and then this. They kind of roll together. Message. I'm going to be in Philippians chapter uh, 2 today, and looking at some things in Philippians chapter 2, and we will get to the coming of Christ in second. Uh, sorry, in Philippians chapter 2 today. So we kind of begin the Christmas season in messages. Uh, he asked me what to preach, and I've been doing a, a little study recently on the mind and what the Bible has to say about our minds and how we think or how we don't think, or how we think incorrectly or correctly, different things like that, and how the mind is really the battlefield of the spiritual warfare that we fight, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. What goes on here is what causes us to do out here, right? And so we have this spiritual battle that goes on inside of us. And so as I was studying Philippians chapter 2 for a totally different message, really, uh, I was going to focus solely on the um, the coming of Christ that's found in Second Corinthians, or sorry, in Philippians chapter two. But I uh, started looking at this uh, as I was studying the mind, and I realized that um, that the book of Philippians talks a lot about the mind. In fact, the the word mind or minded or like minded is mentioned in every chapter of the book, and so we'll get to that in a little bit. But I kind of adapted things. Um, because of that, as I decided what I was going to preach on today. So, but we'll get to Christ coming in that because part of that is the mind that we need to have. As uh, Philippians 2 5 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. Your dad ever asked you, What were you thinking? Your dad, I don't know. I, what are you thinking? I ask people that all the time in my career. What were you thinking? Did you expect anything to happen differently than what happened as the results of your action? Seriously, what were you thinking? You ever asked, I've, I've been, my dad asked me that. I remember, what are you thinking? What did you think was going to happen? And what do you usually do? I, 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 I don't know what I was thinking. I wasn't thinking this, right? That's how we are. We don't think right biblically. We don't think right biblically. We're not born to think right biblically. In fact, we're born to think incorrectly. And we'll get to that in a little bit. But the Bible says in Romans chapter one that we were born with a reprobate mind, in other words, a mind that is not acceptable to God. Our mind in its present fallen state is not acceptable to God. We don't think right. I still don't think right. We have to do something to think right once we come to Christ. We have to renew that mind. You want to flip that to Romans Romans chapter 12. You can, I don't know if you can read that or not. I, this is the first PowerPoint I've ever done for a service, just FYI. Somebody finally told me I'm 56 years old. I better figure out how to do this thing. So this is a 56-year-old version of a PowerPoint. I have one slide with a bunch of words. Do the whole thing, okay? Not a lot of variety here. Might be a little uh, animation on occasion, which was totally unattended, by the way. But what does it say, Romans 12, 2? And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. If we're going to prove out or find or live the perfect 
will of God for our lives, we have to renew our mind, which simply means that our present state of mind is wrong. It needs to be renewed. We don't think right. We just don't think right. We don't think right about a lot of things, right? We think based on how we're trained or how we're brought up or how we're born. All these influences come into our mind and corrupt and pollute our minds that when we finally come to Christ and realize it, we have to change it. God's desire is that we renew our mind, that we make it new. Just like he made us a new creature, he's given us the resources and the word of God to change the way that we think. And God requires or asks us to do that. He says, renew your mind. In uh, Colossians, uh, we'll jump to the next screen. I think we're in Ephesians 4, actually. It says that you put off concerning the former conversation. That's the lifestyle, right? The old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. We have these lusts. Our mind thinks certain things. Lusts are a mental issue. We see something, and inside, we think of it in a certain way, right? We see something and we feel a certain way about it and we pursue that thing. Our mind is what controls that. It is the lust of our mind and the things that we have internally that create this sin issue within us. So he says, put off the concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. Our old man is corrupt according to those lusts and be renewed renewed in the spirit of your mind. Get rid of the old stuff and replace it with new stuff. That's what it's about. God wants us to think like him. He doesn't want us to think like us. He wants us to act like him. He wants us to be like him. Remember, Tony's going through Genesis, and in Genesis chapter one, we'll get to that later too, but in Genesis chapter one, we had the likeness of God when he created us. We were created in the likeness of God. And we lost that likeness when we fell. We also lost a way of thinking when we fell. We lost that mind. And those lusts took over, and now they influence our lives and what we do and why we do it. And he wants us to renew that. It's to be renewed in knowledge. You'll see. Renewed in knowledge. Colossians chapter 3.10. And have put on the new man, right? So you put off the old man. You put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Renewed in knowledge. We are to renew our minds with new knowledge. God has given us a book by which to renew our mind. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, it's not up there, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, I believe it says that he has given us the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ by which we are to take and renew the way that we think. So many believers today don't do that. So many believers today come to a saving knowledge of Jesus, Jesus Christ, which saves your soul and guarantees you a position in the family of God, but we never renew our mind, and therefore we never become properly functional in accomplishing God's purpose in our life because our mind still holds us back. God wants us to replace it, to set aside the old man, right, and to, what's it say? which is renewed, have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. To renew our knowledge. We're to put off something and put on something else. Put out something and put in something else. As we put Christ inside of us, we begin to deal with and work through the areas of sin in our life that we need to resolve. 
Uh, we talked about this in the morning service, how that God, when you got saved, according to Colossians chapter two, it's not up here as well, separated your soul from your flesh and your spirit. He filled your spirit with, filled your, your, your inside with the spirit of God. He separated your flesh from your soul in the sense of sin, and he's preserved that soul until Christ comes back through his spirit. But our mind still controls what we do. We have to deal with the mind, and hence he's given us and equipped us with the tool to do it in the word of God, and it requires daily effort, daily effort. Second Corinthians talks about this in chapter four, verse 16. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. We're, we're big here at, at Harvest Baptist Church about teaching the word of God, not just teaching it from the pulpit, but teaching it among everyone. In other words, we want you to have a handle on the word of God. Why? Because you need to renew your own mind. I, I can't renew your mind for you daily, right? There's people charge a lot of money to try to renew, renew, people, <laughs> renew people's minds. I, I'm not, that's, I can't do that. The only way that your mind is going to be renewed is if you take that book and you implant it in here. It will then renew the way that you think. You will see things in life differently. You will see the word of God differently. You will see God differently. You will see God as he wants you to see him, not as we think he is. We don't oftentimes even have a proper perspective of who God is. But he's found here in the word of God. And we must renew it, and it must be done daily. Because every day we're bombarded with other things that go in our mind that want to hold us back, that want to keep us in that old mind, in that old man, in that old position. And we've got to continue to renew it. We have a spiritually dysfunctional mind. In your Bibles, we're Romans 128. Uh, in Romans chapter 1, I'll go over there and I'm going to read a little bit of this passage. But the book of Romans is written as the, the outline, if you will, or the constitution of the Christian faith. It transitions us from the Old Testament to the New Testament from the Jew to the Gentile. So in, in the Old Testament, you had the law. In the New Testament, you have grace. Grace is spelled out in the book of Romans. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, you need to know the book of Romans. If you just spend time in one book, if that's all you're gonna do, spend it in Romans because you'll understand what was the Old Testament and what you are in the New Testament and who you are in Jesus Christ and how he saved you. At least start there. This book tells you about that. It, it ties it all together. But in Romans chapter one, he's talking about where man went after creation, how they continued to fall after they became more and more corrupt and they begin to have additional issues. And he gets down to verse, um, let's see, let's look at verse uh, 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, right? God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. So as mankind fell away from God after the fall, they continued to reject the knowledge of God, which I just said, we, that's what we need to be renewed by, right? Mankind has rejected the knowledge of God. They came to a certain state where God defines their mind as reprobate. That's not a term that we use very often. But it literally means unacceptable. That man's mind became unacceptable to God. He could not any longer accept the thoughts of mankind because they had become so corrupt in their fall and their distance from him and their setting aside and refusal 
to retain the knowledge of God that their minds became reprobate, reprobate minds. We have a dysfunctional spiritual mind. And the only way to make it functional is to piece it back together with the word of God. Day by day, every day, it's a battle. Every day, it's a fight. Every day, it's a struggle. Every day, it's time to grow. Every day, it's time to spend time with the Lord and and get into that book and to know that book. It's about this. I heard somebody, I think Tony made a comment on this on Wednesday night a while back. I have a friend of ours that preaches, and he said this. You know, your entire eternity in relationship with God when it comes to the judgment seat of Christ is going to be determined based on how much you love that book. I'm robbing that. When we stand as a believer in Jesus Christ, when we stand before Jesus Christ, we're going to have three things that he's going to judge us by, right? And it's going to result in wood, hay, and stubble, or gold, silver, and precious stone. And those things are all going to be determined based on what we do with this book. It's his mind. When we put this mind in us, we are leaving the old man behind to pursue what God desires us to do. And what we will be judged by is not our sin. What we will be judged by, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and 2 Corinthians chapter 5, is what we do with what he did. What we do with what he did. This is not our eternal security. I'm talking about what we will be judged by and where we will be and how we will end up in eternity with God. We'll be judged based on what we do with what he did. And to know that, to feel that, to understand that, to live that, you have to renew your mind because we can't do it in our own mind. Because our mind is spiritually dysfunctional and it needs to be pieced back together with the word of God. People come, and I'm not, I'm not a, uh, uh, I'm not gonna, when it comes to counseling, if we would just grab this idea that our mind is wrong, I think people know that. I mean, there's an entire industry built on that, right? An entire industry. And it's not a bad industry. Uh, I mentioned this last week. I'm not somebody that, that, um, that disses on, on um, medications. or I'm, I'm just not that way. I believe this. When we fell, we fell physically and we fell mentally. If you look at Genesis, you're going to find that they lost the physical image and they lost the spiritual image and they began to die. And their minds and their bodies begin to, to, to decay in Genesis chapter 1. And when that happens, we are here we are 6,000 years later. And the mental states of people right now is at an all-time low. I don't know if you've noticed that or not. All-time low. All kinds of things, right? Depression, anxiety, hatred, all these things, violence. Everything that we've got going on inside of our head is reached at an all-time, all-time high, actually. I'm saying it backwards. It's an all-time high. People have legitimate problems that was passed down. You ever wonder in uh, Romans 5 where it talks about uh, us being, uh, wherefore as by one man Adam sinned, right? And death was passed upon all men. Well, guess what? It was passed upon all men. And the decay of that physical side is at an all-time high right now. And it's not going to get any better. And we know that because the Bible tells us that. We're falling apart. We're not getting better. We're falling apart. The best we ever were was in Genesis chapter 1. And it's just continued to slide ever since then. 
And the more we input in ourselves outside of what God wants, and the more we continue to reject the knowledge of God, the more messed up we become. And that's where we find ourselves today, in a world that's a mess. But there's some genetic issues that are tied to that as well. And so those things have to be dealt with. But we have a spiritually dysfunctional mind. The Bible calls it reprobate. It is not, no longer acceptable unto God. So when I go back to the book of Philippians with that background, with that understanding of looking at, at the mind of, uh, of our minds and, and where we're such a mess and what God had to do about that, we find that or what he did about that in, in Philippians chapter 2. And we're going to find in Philippians chapter 2, uh, in the book of Philippians, that there are six or seven things in the book of Philippians that he specifically talks to us about our mind, about, specifically mentions it. And the first one, is found in uh, Philippians chapter 1, I think of verse 27. Um, in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 27, says this, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you um, or else be absent, I may hear of your fa- affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Our mind as a body of believers, he's talking to the church here as a a whole, our minds need to be about being faithful to the gospel. That needs to be one of our focuses. That together, right? He says, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. The purpose of the church, at least from a mind standpoint, is to have one mind together to accomplish the same purpose of spreading the gospel. That is your mind. That's where my mind needs to be looking at. It's what I need to be thinking about. All the time when I go somewhere, I have an obligation according to the gospel, according to Christ. We looked at this a little bit today in Colossians in the earlier class, how that we are to preach warning every man, teaching in all wisdom to every man, that every man may be presented blameless before God. Three times, every man. Now, when you get that in your head, it will change the way you think about people. That gospel is to go to every man. And listen, I'm preaching to myself because again, the battle's in the mind. I know these things. I have therefore an obligation to live by them. Do I not? Do I not? I mean, if my dad told me not to do something and I did it, I always got in more trouble than I did if I didn't know about it and did it, right? Isn't that the way that it works? I mean, my son spills his milk. Okay, that's an accident. My son throws milk in my face. Okay. We may have a chat. So, I mean, you see what I'm saying? When When you're disobedient sometimes is based upon what you know, not necessarily what you think you know. And so, but we know this. We know, every, if you've been in this church for, for two weeks, you understand that we're about spreading the gospel and we're about discipling people, right? That we are to, as it says, preach, warning every man. There's your gospel. That we are to teach wisdom to every man. There's your discipleship. That we may present every man before God, every man before God, blameless. Because everybody here someday is going to be presented before God. And you're either going to be blameless or you're not. 
That's the importance of what I'm talking about today. Our mind is the battlefield of this, and we have to understand that, that our focal points are off. I'm focused on my career, right? I'm focused on music. I'm focused on riding bikes. I'm focused on running. I'm focused on whatever, right? But my mission focus is off. Most often. Because we don't keep these things in the forefront of our mind. He wants us to be mindful of the gospel. The next thing, Philippians chapter 2. I look at verse 1. He says, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies fulfill you my joy, this is verse 2, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, that we would be unified in the body of Christ. So many churches today have so much dysfunction. And you know why they have dysfunction? It's because everybody's mind's not on the same thing. Their minds are on 50 different things. They're all over the place. The leadership is not together in a lot of churches today. The, the structure is not together. The finances are not together. These are physical things. But, you know, here's the, here's the deal. He wants us to be unified as a body. Not running 50 different shows in the same building. That's not, that's not what God desires of a church. He wants us to be unified. Fulfill you my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love and being of one accord. Having the same love. Well, you know what the love is, really? Is your love for Christ? Is our love for Christ? I mean, combined as a church body, our love must be for Christ. That's the goal. That's the purpose. His glorification, right? His, his, our love for him, how much we love him as individuals brings us together and allows us of one accord to function as a body. If you don't have that mind, you're not functioning with the body right. We can't work in one accord if we don't have the same love. If my love is, if my love is, is uh, on, uh, you know, if my love is football, or my love is bicycling, or my, if my love is off of what it should be on, we are not going to be able to function in one accord. You know why? Because you're going to be doing one thing, and I'm doing something else, and she's doing something else, and they're doing something else, and, and there's no unity in that because everybody loves everything else but what they should be loving. When my love is transferred outside of Christ, the function of the body in unity is disabled and dysfunctional. Philippians 2 verse 3 he says this about the mind, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Lowliness of mind. Am I there? I'm still on Philippians 127, aren't I? Did it quit? Didn't? Okay. I should be on Philippians 2.3, I think. Romans 15, I don't know. This is why I don't do these. This is why. This is why I just don't do them. Sorry. That is what it is. But uh, unity. Actually, Romans 15, 5 and 6 actually does go with that, by the way. Now the God of patience and consolation grants you to be like, it must go with it because I put it up there. It must have something to do with what I'm saying. Right? Now the God of patience and consolation grants you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father 
of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, that we might glorify God, that our mind would be like-minded in glorifying God, that we might accomplish God's purpose together. I think the next one is Philippians 2, verse 3, maybe, where it says, let nothing be done through strife. Oh, it's not up there. Okay, well, just read this one. I'll make you, I was talking to somebody, you know, one of the reasons I don't do these is one, I'm stupid. That's the first reason. I'm, I'm technologically ignorant. That's, that's one reason I don't do them. Secondly, when I grew up in the Lord, man, I had to know my Bible. I got lost, right? I had to bring a Bible to church. I had to read that Bible. I had to study that Bible. I had to outline that Bible. I had to take notes in that Bible. And I had to know where the guy was going before he got there, right? In other words, I learned that book instead of watching TV. Sorry, that's just, okay, I've gone off now. I've thrown a tirade. That's what you call a rant. So Philippians chapter two. I will say though, they do make things a lot faster. Philippians chapter two, verse three. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Right? So our focus point, our mental thought, the thing that we need to be aware of in dealing with one another is that we need to be humble about it. Right? We need to be humble about it. We need to be able to sit down with one another in, in a mindset of humility and uh, in that be like-minded in humility. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Of course, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And uh, you have to go beyond that. Oh, that's right. They're not up there. I just put the highlights. See, that's what I did. I just put the thing up there, like-minded in humility. Go to the next one. There we go, like-minded in servitude, Right? Where do I get that at? Like-minded in servitude. Well, the next one says this in verse five, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. Like-minded in servitude. You know, a minister is a, is a server, really. We just serve people. We serve people. We teach people, but, but it has to do with serving one another, being able to have that mindset of providing service to others, primarily in the gospel and the teaching of the word of God, but in other, other areas of well, uh, as well. So servitude. The next thing it talks about in Philippians is in uh, chapter 3, verse 16, I think. He says, um, verse 15 and 16, that ye may be blameless and harmless. Oh, I'm in chapter 2, chapter 3. says, let us therefore as many as be perfect be thus minded. And if anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal it even, even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same things. Again, you see the consistency in the body of Christ being focused on, on being focused on one thing, being focused on one thing, that we would have the same mindset. And verse 16, um, of verse 19, I'm sorry, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. We need to be like-minded in our focus, right? Not like-minded in earthly things. Go ahead to the next one. Like-minded in our priorities, Right? my priorities are after earthly things, then my, my God priority has been set aside. 
it's easy for me to focus on the earthly things. That's what he's talking about in this passage of Scripture. Right? Philippians chapter 4, verse 2 says, I beseech Yodius and beseech Syntychus that they be of the same mind. They be of the same mind. We need to be like-minded in our unity. Right? Like-minded in our unity. And so... I want to jump back now to chapter 1, and I want to talk about being like-minded with Christ. In verse 5, he says this, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Made himself of no reputation. And took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above all names. So Christ, this is the mind of Christ. This is what Christ did, right? Verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Well, what did he do? He was firmly God, right? And he came here on a rescue mission who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, right? He was God. But I want to look at man first before we get into Christ, because man fell. He became in the likeness of man, but that likeness came from our fall, all right? So Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 says this. Tony's gone over this. You might have to skip a couple on that. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26 says this. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon it. God created us and he made us in his own image after his likeness. And Tony went over this on Sunday mornings and he talked about that, how that we fell, that they had a very small amount. Now think about this. God told them one thing, basically, told them what they were supposed to do. But if you think about the, the Bible they had, it was very, a very small amount, right? All they had to do is stay in the garden, enjoy the fruit of their labors, replenish the earth, and don't eat the tree. That's all. That's it. That's all they had. All right? And yet, with that small amount of Scripture, the devil snuck into their lives, twisted it, and what happened? She saw the fruit, Eve did, right? that it was good for the eyes. She, she realized that it would be good for taste, right? Uh, and that it would make her wise. That was her perspective of what that fruit was, okay? Those three things equate to three areas that we deal with, which is the lust of our flesh, the lust of our eyes, and the pride of life. Those three things are there. And Tony went through that on Sunday mornings. The same battles we fight, having all of this, They fought having three verses or four, right? And yet he was still able to get in there, twist that into something that it didn't say that she bought because her mind went that way, the way she thought about it. He was able to get in there and twist it and confuse her, beguiled her, and man fell, right? And when man fell... There was a curse that was passed on in chapter 3, 
And by the time you get to chapter 5, which should be the next slide, man has now lost God's image. He doesn't have God's image anymore. I'll go back to Genesis chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, turn it with me today. Genesis chapter 5. Verse 1, this is the book of the generations of Adam in the day that God created man in the likeness of God made he him. So in the day that we were created, right? I'm in chapter 5, verse 1. We'll get to that. In the day that man was created, he created us in his image after his likeness. Male and female, verse 2, created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam in the day when they were created. All right, paragraph, next paragraph, next thought. Verse 3, and Adam lived 130 years and begat a son his own, in his own likeness after his image and called his name Seth. So the image changed from that of God's to that of a fallen man between chapters 3 and chapter 5. And now you have this image in the likeness of man. So man fell. We lost the image of God. We lost the mind of God. We walked away from God, and men became then servants of sin. Let's look at Romans chapter 6, verse 20. Romans chapter 6 and verse 20 says, For when you were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. When I was the servant of sin, I'm no longer now, but I was at one time. We became servants of sin as man fell, and our minds and our bodies were given over to Sin. And by the time Noah's time, Tony just went over that, right? In, in Noah, chapter 6 through 9, and what happened, and God couldn't deal with He decided at that point man was not going to get any better, and he wiped him out with a flood. He talked about that. So he took him out, and he left Noah and his family. So Noah gets the same commission, or very similar, and goes about it. And men, he talked about this last week, they built their own religion. And that religion began to dominate the Gentile world, which it still dominates the Gentile world. There's only a couple things that, that separate biblical Christianity and salvation from all other religions. One is salvation by grace. It's a gift. That's a big one, right? That's a big one. Salvation by grace only. Grace alone. For by grace you are saved through faith and the not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians chapter 2 it's a gift. It's the only thing, one of the only things. The other thing, that we have a, a word of God in writing, God's word as preserved for us in writing. It's not just the writings of a prophet. By its own admission, its own claim, it is the mind of Christ. We have that. That's different than anything else, anybody else. And we have a God, the God, that became man to die for you and I. Those three things. Primary differences between biblical Christianity. I'm not talking about all Christianity. I'm talking about what the Bible says in comparison to what many Christian beliefs believe. Just among Christianity, much less all the other religions of the world, which all work your way to heaven in some form or some fashion. Christ gave it as a gift. That's the difference between what the Bible says and what man believes most of the time. God became man. to free us from being servants of sin. And this servitude of sin, in Romans 6.20, 
bled to death in Romans 5, 12. It led to our death. That up there? Yep. Wherefore is by one man, there's Adam, sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. For the wages of sin is death, right? But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. That sin was passed to you and me. It was passed down. There's nothing we could do about it. Nothing we can do about it in and of ourselves. We can't change it. We can't fix it. We can't resolve it no matter how good we are. It was passed down and you are a sinner. So many people get, I think, confused on this. We liken sin unto what we do. You know, the Bible says that thou shalt not covet. You know what that means? Is a sin. Sin is in our head too. Covetousness is a mental sin, isn't it? It's I look at something you have and I want it. I don't have to do anything for that. It's a mental sin. It's an internal sin. But it's a sin that will damn you to hell because you cannot, outside of Jesus Christ, conquer it. It's a mental sin. It's not just what you do that causes sin in your life. It's what you think. It's why Christ says, if you've looked upon a woman and lusted after her, you have committed fornication already because it happened here. I tell you what, that mental sin is running the world right now because men's minds are so bent over on pornography and everything else that's out there. I'm talking kids. Probably 80% of what I do has to do with child crimes and it has to do with perversion of your mind because you've wandered your eyes into something they shouldn't have seen. And it's manifested itself in your hands or on your phone. The mind is a messed up place in the world today and it is only getting worse. We are born into sin And our minds are there, which is why we have to renew it. We have got to renew it. We've got to see it. We've got to renew it. It leads to death, Romans chapter 5, verse 12, right? But let's go back to Philippians. Because God did something about that. He knew our fallen state. He understood our helplessness. And he had a plan. And his plan to recover that mind and to recover our soul, in fact, is also laid out in chapter 2. Verse 5, where he says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought of not robbery to be equal with God. So here you have Jesus Christ entering into the the realm of our world. Merry Christmas, huh? All that mess that we are, you know, I can hide. I can hide physical sin from you. I mean, I can hide mental sin from you. I I can even I can even act and look really good. But what I can't really hide, what what the reality is, 
and I've heard this said by a lot of guys, if you knew what was going on in here half the time, you'd throw me right out this door. And I don't think there's a person in here that ain't just like that because I know the mind and I know where they go. I know it because that book tells me that our minds are jacked and we've got to fix them. And the only road to repair is through Jesus Christ and the renewing of our minds. That's it. The renewing of our minds. He says this in Philippians chapter two, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So Christ's mind right there on the picture, Christ is offering you his mind, right? He is offering you his mind to resolve your mind problems. Let this mind be in you. Who, and this is what he did so that he could do that, by the way. This is what he did so that he could do that. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He was God. He was equal with God. He is God. Look at John chapter 10 and verse 30. I think I've got that up there. Christ says this, I and my father are one. You know, when he said this to the scribes and the Pharisees at that point, they decided it was time to start figuring out a way to kill him. And that, that phrase and what he said in that conversation is when they decided at that point, when he lifted himself up according to them to be equal with God, they said, he's a heretic. It's time for us to kill him. And this is amazing. He came down to die. And he used those that didn't believe who he was to do so and accomplished his purpose even in their unbelief. One of the things that makes the, the Bible so alive to me and the reality of God's existence real to me is that what it says he does. You can deny it if you want to. It doesn't matter. Go ahead. Deny it. But his purpose is still going to get accomplished. It's just a matter of whether it gets accomplished with you or not. I've told people this before. Hey, I don't do, think what you want. Reject it. Deny it. Say it's not true. Live your life. But it's going to happen. Whether you choose it to happen or not, God's going to do what he's going to do, and he stated what he's going to do, and he's not changing it. That's what's real. When people say, that's a lie, and they come up with all this stuff to, to counter it, and yet it's still there, and God's still doing what he says he's going to do. We're coming to the end times. It's right there. It's all painted for us nice and pretty in a nice, beautiful portrait. People look at the world and the situation today when I can show you where it is, why it's this way, and people will say, nah, this is just fairy tales. Live that way. The fairy tale is on the opposite end. This is true. You can take it or leave it. I can walk out on it today. It ain't going to change nothing. Not going to change nothing. That's what makes God real to me because I see it everywhere I go. I see his mind, and the more you get to know the word of God, you begin to see what the, what the world's all about. And you can't miss it. Can't miss it. I talk to people sometimes that know what I do for a living, and they say, I couldn't do what you got. I like to live my life in oblivion. I've heard have people say that before. I like to live my life not knowing what you see, right? Not knowing what you deal with. I think there's a lot of careers like that. Because they can go about their happy way, but they don't have to deal with the reality that exists. The guy they just stood next to in Walmart, you see, that's the difference. 
God is going to do what God does. Whether you think it exists or not, you choose to believe it exists or not, he's going to do it with you or without you. He used even the scribes and the Pharisees to accomplish his purpose in death. Unbeknownst to them, that was part of his plan. That's amazing to me. That's a powerful God. Powerful God. He became equal with. And he became a servant. Go back to Philippians chapter 2. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He was equal with God. He stated himself to be equal with God. He stated that him and his father were one, verse 7, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant, right? He became a servant, not a servant to sin, a servant to overcome sin. You see, he did exactly the opposite of what happened when we fell. We were born in the likeness of God. Man fell, became a servant to sin. He was God stepped into this world to overcome, to become a servant, to overcome sin. He became a servant unto death. We're going to see that in a second. Verse 7, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. As we lost his likeness because of our sin, he willfully took on our likeness that we might become like him again. That's what Christ did. Equal with God. Chose of his own accord to step into our form, set aside his reputation to set aside who he was, made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. And then look at this, verse 8. And being found in fashion as a man, he was found in fashion as a man. Go to the next slide. He was tempted, even as we were tempted, right? He says, for we have not a high priest in Hebrews 4.15. We have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. He was in our fashion, too. He dealt with the same issues we deal with. But he did it without sin. He became in man's image. He dealt with man's temptations. And he overcame them. That's amazing to me that God would put up with the temptations of humanity. Because really, how could I die for somebody that's just like me? And not. Can I give you advice on something that, that I don't adhere to myself? That's what he's doing. He decided, if I'm going to be like a man, I'm going to deal with the same temptations they did. And I'm going to beat it. And he did. He did it without sin. Mental sin, physical sin, sin period. Tempted the same way. And yet he did it without sin. He became a servant unto us, like us, tempted like us, that he might overcome sin. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, Christ became sin. For he hath made him to be sin for us, 
who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Did you catch that? He became sin. We talked about a passage back in Numbers today in the, in the class this morning about how Christ is seen in the Old Testament in different ways, and one of which is in the book of Numbers when the nation of Israel rebels against God, and, and they, uh, then God sends serpents, and people start getting bit and start getting sick and start dying, and, and he tells them to lift this snake up upon a pole, and anybody that looks upon that snake would be healed. Believe and look on it, and they'll be healed, and that happened. And that's a picture. It's an old picture, an Old Testament glance into what Christ did. He came down, he became the serpent, became sin, and was raised up on a cross just like the serpent on a pole in a book of Numbers that we might be saved. Same picture. He became sin for us. So he says in verse 7, again back in Philippians chapter 2, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of the servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the the cross. Christ chose to take our sin to the cross. Colossians chapter 2. Have that up there. Verse 13, and you being dead in your sins, that's where I was. I was dead in my sins. And uncircumcision of your flesh. Now, I talked about this in the morning hour. In the Old Testament, people were referred to, you had Jews, right? Three, three groups of people in the Bible. If you get this, you'll be able to lay your Bible out really well. Three, there's only three people groups there. Jews, Gentiles, and the church. That's it. Everybody else, everybody in this world is going to fit into one of those categories, okay? You're Jewish, you're Gentile, or you're the church. Both Jew and Gentile can fit into the church, but they're no longer Jew or Gentile. They're children of God. Changes you. Old Testament, Jew, Gentile, church. Same thing in the new. Jew, Gentile, church. Well, Old Testament, church didn't exist. But those three people groups, Old Testament you had in the Bible calls them, in the Old Testament, circumcision and uncircumcision. Circumcision and uncircumcision. That's what you find them called. And if you remember the story back in, uh, in uh, Genesis, you'll find that God comes to Abraham and he makes him a promise and he enters into a covenant with him and he says, to seal this covenant, you need to take the first, firstborn among men or your, your boys right? And circumcise them on the eighth day. New beginnings, biblical numerology, you know, eight, the number eight is a number of new beginnings. And he did that to help establish or to establish that covenant with him where he said that your seed will be multiplied as the stars, the sky, and all that stuff. All right. Jews became the circumcised, Gentiles became uncircumcised. That's how they're referred to, Jewish history, and that's how your Bible refers to them. Circumcision, uncircumcision. You as a Gentile in the Old Testament would be considered the uncircumcised. Difference. 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get off track, but I'm going to define this real quick. Colossians chapter 1 or 2. It's not up there. But if you have your Bibles today, be turning to Colossians chapter 2. Because God did something when you got saved that changed that in your life spiritually. Colossians chapter 2. Verse 9, he says, For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Talking about Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. The day you accepted Christ, you became spiritually circumcised. And I want to tell you what that's about here real quick. In whom also ye are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. When you got saved, God cut away the sins of the flesh from your soul and separated them. That's the picture. That's how we can be preserved our souls preserved because it is circumcised from our sin. Spiritual operation. Look at it. Verse 12, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God. I mean, that's just what it says, right? I think I made that word up. No. The day you accepted, somebody preached a message and you realized you needed Christ Jesus and you came forward or you talked to somebody and they laid that thing out, you realized you were a sinner, you came to Christ, said, I need saved, God, please save me today. He, at that point, he spiritually circumcised your sin in your flesh from your soul, took them apart, separated them. It's cool, right? Separated them. And then he sealed you with the Holy Spirit of God. He aired you up. I use the example of a football. Three layers in a football, just like man. We got a body, we got a soul, we got a spirit. You got an outer skin, you got an inner tube, and you got air. You got outer skin is that flesh, that inner tube is that soul, and that air is your spirit. And the day you got saved, he peeled the outer skin of that football off and he preserved that inner tube of your soul and that spirit, you got filled with the Holy Spirit of God and sealed, according to Ephesians chapter 113, until he comes back. Peeled you apart. That's why in 1 John it says that those that are in him commit no sin. You know why we don't commit sin? Because he sealed our soul from committing sin. However, we still deal with the flesh. That's why Romans chapter 7, Paul struggles with that thing. He says, what I want to do, that I would do, right? Those things that I want to do, I don't do, in Romans chapter 7. But those things that I would do, I don't do, because the evil is always present with him. We still have the flesh. Our flesh is still there, which again is why we need to let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. That's why we need to walk in the Spirit of God. Your soul's preserved, but you still fight the fight. Let's go back to Philippians. Oh, I'll go over to Hebrews. Why not? 
Sorry, go to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. We use this verse a lot, and I used this this morning. This will lay it out as to how he did this. Hebrews 4 and verse 12. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's a fine operating utensil. Look what it divides. Dividing asunder of the soul. There's your soul. Your spirit. There's your spirit, your inner man. Spirit of God, and of the joints and the marrow, there's your body, there's your flesh. He took the scalpel of the word of God and he separated your body, your soul, and your spirit from that sin. That outer flesh is cut away, just like in circumcision. Just like in circumcision. The day you accepted Christ. If you've not accepted Christ today, your soul is still stuck to that flesh and you got to deal with sin on an eternal level. i got to deal with it here. I don't have to deal with it in eternity. God did that. He took care of that. That's the free gift. i got to deal with it here, just like Paul did. So we're going back over to Philippians before I stray any further. Philippians 2. But look what he did. And being found, verse 8, found in the fashion as a man humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross even the death of the cross. I never finished Colossians, did I? Two. And you being dead in your sins and uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened, and I just say that, the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. That's what that's about. It's quick. It quickens you. It makes you alive. Uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. It's all done. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. That would be your law in the Old Testament. He blotted it out that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. He took all those ordinances and your sin. He became sin. He nailed it to the cross. Colossians 2.15, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing, uh, triumphing over them in it. He beat it. He beat it. Now let's keep going in Philippians chapter 2. And I'll wind this thing down. Verse 9. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above all, above every name. Hebrews Chapter 12, verse 2, I think is up there, hopefully. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Philippians chapter 2, verse 10 says that at the name of Jesus, well, verse 9, wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name. You've got to deal with the name of Jesus Christ. I know a lot of people that believe in God. A lot of people that believe in a God, different gods, the same God. But when you set them down and you say, what are you going to do with Jesus Christ? And that, what are you going to do with that? In Philippians chapter 2, what do you do with that when you know that? That's what he did. That's clear as clear as can be. Right? He did that for us. When he came, when he was born into this world, that was his pre-existent purpose. 
to deal with our sin that we might again become like him as we were in Genesis chapter 1. It's a full circle. He did everything that we did to make us like him again. Became in our likeness, right? In our fashion. Stepped down from his position. Took on our sin to become it and nail it to the cross. That we might be like we were when it all started. And here's the deal. I still deal with this flesh, but there's going to come a day I don't have to deal with that flesh anymore. So he's got a new body for me too. I just don't have the opportunity to use it right now. But we will, right? So Philippians chapter 2, verse, he's exalted 9, verse 10, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Notice the wording, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Here's the deal. You hear that story, you should bow. But he's not going to make you. He's not going to make you. You should bow. Look what it says. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If you are here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior and you heard that story and you're not compelled to bow down before the God of this universe, you should be. You should be. You should be. There will come a day. The Bible says, go ahead and change the screen. Romans 14, 11, for it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me. Difference. See, you still live in the day of should bow. But there's going to come a day that you shall. As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. Right now, you still live in the world of shoulds. And you should. I'd encourage you to. You don't know Jesus Christ today? Man, you should. You should. You should. Don't wait until you shall. Don't wait until that day. Live life with him, man. It's joyous. It's freeing. It's wonderful. It's awesome. He's given us his mind that we can know, that we can renew our minds with. We don't have to live in the bondage of the mess of this world anymore because of what he did for us. He has severed the pigskin of my soul from my soul, separated that thing, and preserved it into him eternally. All I have to do is ask him. He will cut away that sin. Oh, yeah, you'll still fight it. You'll still battle it. But he will deal with it to where he doesn't see it. That's why, again, 1 John in chapter 3, he says... Those that are in Christ Jesus do not commit sin. Because in him, you don't. You don't. Man, put yourself in that position today. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I pray, God, today that if there's anybody here that has not accepted you as their Savior, that has seen that picture of what you did, you came 
to this earth, this season that we celebrate you in. You came to this world. We're born in the image of a man. You were tempted in like fashion as we are and yet without sin. You chose to take our sin to a cross and willfully and obediently die that we might obtain what we lost and again have a relationship with you like he had in the garden where you were walking with Adam and you were communicating with him through your word and he was communicating with you through your word and they were the relationship was was real you did all this father for us you separated it you commit that operation in my life that that circumcision of my soul and the flesh of the sin of this world you separated that for me and God, I pray that if there's anybody here that has not at this time bowed that knee to you and called upon you, like your word says, we would just come to you, call upon your name. For whosoever calleth upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Father, if we... Anybody here is not like that today. I pray, Father, that you would not let them leave here without getting a hold of me or somebody else that they might come to know you today and go through that time of salvation and deal with that sin issue through your blood that they don't have to deal with it later through eternity. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I'm not going to do a big invitation today. But with what's been preached, I would not be right by not at least asking if there's somebody here that wants to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior today, or, or you've seen it, right? You know what that means, that Christ came down, he became sin for you, he took that sin away. We're still in that bondage of sin, and until you accept that Savior, that saving grace of Jesus Christ, that thing's still stuck to you, and you can't get away from it. It's like that football. You can't get away from it until somebody cuts that skin off and takes that skin away. He wants to do that. But if you're here today, and you've never done that, never accepted Christ, want to know what that means, want somebody to sit down with you, every head bowed and every eye closed. If God's working on you right now, I'll have you stand up, because if you should do something you're not, and the Holy Spirit of God's working on you to do it, you will. And I'll put you with somebody in a room back here to share the gospel with you. Just stand up. I'll send somebody your way. Nobody looking around just between you and God and me and whoever I put you with to share the gospel with you, anybody at all. I won't wait long. My parents are asking me that at different times. What do you think you should do? I don't know what to do. What do you think you should do? All right. For those of you out there that are believers in Jesus Christ and understand that now, what Christ did, why he came, and how he separated that sin from us through that operation of God, circumcision of sin from our soul. Might be time to renew your mind. Don't let the flesh beat you. God gave you the ability to beat it. But it's going to take some work and replacing the way we think with the way he thinks. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. 
and thank you for the salvation we have by grace and pray father today that as we go about our way that we would take that out with us to those that were around every day father that we would be a minister of your gospel minister of christ as, as your word says we would minister christ to those around us father we have uh, weak minds and uh, we are given to falling and failing and choosing roads to go down that we shouldn't go down. I thank you, Father, for the promise of your spirit that seals us until the day that you come back for us or until we die, that, that we don't have to worry about an eternity in hell through you. We don't have to worry about an eternal separation from you. We don't have to worry about losing our salvation once we have it because you gave it to us because you cut sin away and you preserved our soul. But, Father, we want to be used by you, and we want to be what you want us to be. I pray, Father, you'd do it. Continue to use this church body. May we be like-minded in the areas we talked about today to accomplish a like-minded purpose. We give you praise and glory in all things. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. You guys are dismissed. Thanks for coming today.